In Martin Scorsese's film, Silence, two Portuguese Jesuit priests travel to Japan to investigate reports that their mentor, Father Ferreira, has apostatized. He has denied Christ. And when they get to Japan, they realize that the situation there is much worse than they imagined. That Christianity has recently been outlawed and that there are inquisitors going around from town to town looking for converts to either make them apostatize or have them killed. And when they finally meet, uh, find Father Ferreira, he tells them that they should have never come. And he tells them the reason why is that Christianity cannot take root in Japan. He says that their religion uh, cannot take root because Japan is a swamp. And it will not nourish the roots of a Christian tree, but it will nourish the Buddhist faith. Now, interestingly, one way to marginalize a religion is to say that it's only for a certain kind of people, only for a certain group of people. Christianity at various times has been called uh, Western religion or white man's religion, which are curious claims since the faith was founded by Middle Eastern men who would have looked a lot more like Osama bin Laden than like me. But let's ask the question, who is the good news of Christianity for? Who's it for? And to ask that question, we first need to ask the question, what is the good news of Christianity? Well, it starts with what I think almost everyone agrees with, which is that there is something terribly wrong with the world. The world is broken. But the gospel, the Christian gospel, good news, says that God has not left us to our own devices. He's not left us to destroy ourselves. That actually the major event that has changed world history is what we talked about in the Apostles' Creed earlier. The fact that God himself came down from heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death for us, and then rose victoriously over evil and death, and is now making all things new again, making the world right and good again. Now, one of the questions being asked by the older church was that question we just asked. Who is this message for? Because so many in the early church were Israelites, were Jewish people. And in the Old Testament, the good news seemed to be just for that one small group of people, the Jewish people. Uh, but at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells his people, his disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, which is actually a fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with the father of Israel, Abraham himself, when he told him that you will be the father of many nations, not just the Jewish nation, many nations. And the book of Acts shows how God's plan is going forth. 
and how it's beginning to work. It begins, as Jesus said it would, in Jerusalem. Right? We looked at Pentecost when 3,000 people came to Christ. They're in the center of sort of Jewish religious faith. And then it moves out to Judea and Samaria. And we saw last week how Philip was uh, preaching the good news in Samaria. And Simon the magician was one of the many converts. And now it's beginning to move to the ends of the earth. And in some instances, the ends of the earth is coming near. We see that in today's reading. As we meet a man who is a long way away from his home, And so if you are able, please stand for this reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south toward, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a lamb He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. First thing we learn from this passage is that the good news is for seekers. On the road to Gaza, Philip meets a man who is from the African country of Ethiopia. And we're told that he is a treasurer to the queen of that country. We're also told that he was a eunuch, which was common for a man in his position who was working with a prominent woman, ensuring that he wouldn't be able to relate to her in anything but a professional way. And he had come over a thousand miles to Jerusalem. We're told to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he's, he's reading the sacred scripture of Israel, but he's having trouble understanding it. Now, we don't know how he got his hands on a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, but somehow he did. And something in it has moved him to see the truth in its message and the God that it proclaims and, and to take this long journey now, last week I said that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is like a silent partner, that he's almost never quoted in Scripture directly, that God the Father and God the Son are quoted all over the place, but the Holy Spirit is almost never quoted. But this is one of the few times he actually is. Verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So, here's Philip. 
He runs over to this chariot. And he hears the man reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I know? Unless someone tells me. And so Philip, he invites Philip up, and Philip begins to share the good news with him. And he believes the good news and is baptized by Philip. And the, the thing we learn here is that if you are looking for truth, if you are seeking, God will find you. Christianity is a religion that rewards the seeker, rewards the one who is asking the deep questions, searching for the truth, because it has solid answers to the ultimate questions that we're asking. Now, I know that some people are afraid to go to church because they think like this, like, I probably have too many questions. I probably have too many doubts. I, I probably won't fit in. Let me assure you, if you are searching for the truth, you fit in. We are not afraid of questions here. We want you to ask them. If you need hope, if you need Jesus, then you fit in here. Now, when I talk about seekers, I am talking about people who are genuinely searching for the truth. Those who are willing to lead wherever it follows. That's this eunuch. He's, he's willing to travel for months to worship a God that probably nobody in his home country worships or knows. He is a true seeker. He doesn't care what's popular. He only cares what's true. But not everyone who says that he is a seeker actually is. A lot of people today put limits around what will they will accept as a true or valid spiritual option. Right? They'll, they'll give a religion or a philosophy a chance if it doesn't require too much of them. Or if their friends will still think they're cool. Or if they don't have to change their sexual behavior. But that's not true seeking, is it? In Matthew chapter 19, we see a rich young ruler come to Jesus and say, Teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, well... You know the commandments? And he starts talking about the second half of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And then the man says, oh yeah, I know those. I've kept them all since I was a, a kid. And then Jesus follows up his jab with the knockout blow. He says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. Now, some people have taken this story as, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you really need to sell all your stuff, which would make us the poor who need to be taken care of, right? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is about true seeking and about the first commandment, which is what? You shall have no other gods before me. You see, Jesus is challenging this young man. Are you really seeking God? 
Do you really want him? Or do you just want what he can give you? Do you just want eternal life? Maybe a little bit better life here. Maybe more money. Let me put it this way. Imagine if in Old Testament times, a Philistine, enemy of Israel, had, had come to the temple in Jerusalem and, and asked a priest, how do I inherit eternal life? And imagine the priest said, well, you need to worship Yahweh, the one true God. And then you need to become part of Israel. You need to be circumcised and read the Torah and begin uh, to learn how to live according to God's law. And imagine this Philistine said, you know, I, I want to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll get circumcised. I'll read the law. And I'll live like you. But I, I'm going to keep worshiping Dagon, you know, the Philistine God priest would be like, I got bad news for you. That breaks the deal. Right? That breaks the deal. That's not going to work. If you want God, you have to take him on his terms. You don't get to bargain. You don't say, well, I'll, I'll come halfway if you'll meet me halfway. God says, if you're not willing to make me Lord of your life, you're not really seeking. You're just seeking a little improvement in your life. But for those who are truly seeking, God says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So the good news is for seekers. But the good news is also for rejects. This man, he was in a high position in the royal court, but we he was also a eunuch, which meant that not only was he different from most other men, it also meant that he couldn't have children. He couldn't have a family of his own. He couldn't have a natural heir, something which was extremely important in that day and age to carry on his line. And he's come to Jerusalem to worship, which probably would have been a frustrating, even crushing experience. Because as a Gentile, uh, he could not have gone, he could only have gone into the court of the Gentiles, which was on the outside of the temple. And he could have only gone in there if no one knew that he was a eunuch. Because in Deuteronomy 23, eunuchs are expressly forbidden from going into the temple at all. And so he would have been probably re rejected at the front of the temple. But there's a deeper hope for him, good news for him. As he's reading this section of Isaiah, it is a section known as the servant songs. And he's reading in chapter 53, Isaiah 53, about a sheep who was slaughtered, about a man who was denied justice, whose life was taken away from the earth. And this same passage uh, talks about a man who was despised, who was rejected by men. A man of sorrows who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he asked Philip, who is this talking about? Who is this man that was pierced for me, who was rejected and cut off from me? Is it, is it the prophet Isaiah or is he talking about somebody else? And of course, Philip begins to tell him, the good news, now this is about Jesus. Jesus 
was the one who was rejected by men, put to death on a cross. He was cut off and excluded so that you could be included in the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is good news for the poor and the weak and the outcast, the reject. Because its champion was an outcast. In one of the, uh, the most moving scenes in any Disney movie is from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's the scene where Esmeralda the Gypsy is praying uh, at Notre Dame Cathedral. She's praying for help with the persecution uh, of her people that they're experiencing. And she sings this prayer. She says, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. Yes, I know I'm just an outcast. I shouldn't speak to you. Still, I see your face and wonder, were you once an outcast too? God, help the outcasts, or nobody will. I think if we're honest, all of us have felt like an outcast at times. Like there's something wrong with us that would make people reject us. Maybe it's a physical attribute or shortcoming, or maybe you struggle with mental health, with social anxiety or depression. Friend, if you find Jesus... You will find someone who loves you no matter what. He's the friend of sinners, the lover of losers, the redeemer of rejects. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes, regardless of who you are, where you come from, or whether you fit in, the good news is for everyone. Good news is for everyone. Christianity is the most radically inclusive religion there is because it's the only religion that really is at home in every place in the world, every continent, every country in the world. Now, a skeptic might say, whoa, whoa, wait, Christians? Radically inclusive? I mean, come on. They seem pretty intolerant and exclusive to me. I mean, aren't, aren't Christians, don't they discriminate against women and LGBTQ people? Well, let me explain. Too much. Let me sum up. Because we could preach a whole sermon on both of those things. But the first, to be fair, the Bible does teach that men and women are uh, different. They are naturally suited to sometimes different roles. But that is a very different thing from saying that Christianity is against women. In fact, Wendy Alsup in her book, Is Christianity Good for Women? She makes a very strong case that Christianity is actually the best thing to ever happen to women. Because among all ancient worldviews, Christianity was the only worldview that taught that both men and women are both created in the image of God and that they are equal in value. And it wasn't until Jesus came to the world that women were no longer treated as property and began to be given full rights as image bearers of God. Now, as for LGBTQ people, the, the Bible does not discriminate when it comes to sexual sin. 
It doesn't. It doesn't say, oh, there's one class of people that's worse than everybody else. No, the fact, the, the broad prohibition of, against, of sexual sin is found in the Ten Commandments. Right? So what's the Seventh Commandment? You shall not commit adultery, which is a, sort of a broad rubric for no one. It's against the law of God to commit any sexual sin outside of marriage, which then gets flushed out in an array of different applications throughout the Bible. But the message of the Bible ultimately is that basically we, we are all broken sexually. But there is hope for anyone willing to repent and believe the good news. The gospel message is for anyone who will believe and turn in faith to Christ. And God greatly desires the people of all nations, all races, all people groups, all communities be a part of his church. And again, this passage is, demonstrates that beautifully. Right? We, Philip meets a black African, a pagan by birth, sexually altered. And the Holy Spirit sends Philip. says, go. He's one of mine. Now, just a few chapters after uh, what they're reading in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 56, we read something that you and I might sort of just read through quickly and pass over. But this man surely did not. Because listen to what the prophet says. He says, Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine the hope that would, that would have given this man. The Lord wants to make me a part of his family. Me who can't have a family of my own. He wants to adopt me and have me live with him forever. What kind of God is this? Well, Ethiopia was considered the ends of the earth, the furthermost boundaries of the Roman Empire at the time. But interestingly, some of the most important names in church history are African. Men like Cyprian and Tertullian and St. Augustine. Church history shows how the Christian faith has taken root in the most diverse cultures, starting in the Middle East and North Africa, and moving to Europe, America, Russia. In the last centuries, spread like wildfire in China, Southern Africa, and South America. People everywhere need the good news. But Romans 10 asks the question, how are they to believe in the one, in, in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The Ethiopian needed someone to come and to help him understand the good news, and, and Philip was sent. How beautiful were Philip's feet that ran to that chariot to share the good news. Who might the Holy Spirit be leading you to share the good news with? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not like us. You do not favor the wealthy. 
you do not favor the, the famous, the successful. But you love all kinds of people. You are the God of the well-connected and the outcasts. And Father, you, you love your people wherever they are found, and you send us to them. Father, I pray that you would help us to believe this good news, to feel how radically good and true it is, and give us courage to share it with all that we come into contact with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.